0: Bredo, the wellness world can get a bit confusing at times, particularly when it comes to protein powder. Sure can, MP. Some protein powders have nasty fillers, artificial sweeteners, flavors, and not to mention a poor source of protein. This is what sets True Protein apart from the rest. It's True MP. True Protein has no gimmicks. No false promises, no nasty fillers, no artificial sweeteners or flavors, and a total honesty policy that ensures every ingredient list is transparent and pure. Not to mention, True Protein is absolutely delicious, GMO-free, and grass-fed. True Protein is the premier choice of world-class athletes, sporting teams, and wellness enthusiasts all around the world. And for listeners of The Wellness Guys, you can get an awesome 10% off your True Protein order when you use the code wellness10. Just go to trueprotein.com.au and enter the discount code wellness10 for 10% off. Surely that's too good to be true, BrettO. It's the Truth MP. Wellness Guys listeners get 10% off your True Protein order when you use the discount code wellness10 at trueprotein.com.au.
1: Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Damien Christophe and Dr. Brett Hill.
0: Hey, brett this episode is brought to you by Forage. Forage. Love my Forage cereal, Damien. My Forage paleo with uh, such a great way to start the day. I make my little homemade almond meal. Uh, almond milk, I should say. I put some uh, strawberries on it.
1: It's yum. beautiful. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah, I love forage. Um, I created it with your health in mind, and obviously I created paleo because you told me to, and uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for that. But this episode is brought to you by Forage. It's a great tasting, incredibly healthy, no it nasty muesli range that uh, I created to help you stay well. So if you want to see more about it, go to www.foragecereal.com. Hi, this is Damien. And this is Brett. Hello, mate. G'day, buddy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. We're uh, joined by Andrew Graffis today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on, hilarious. go on. Get it out of the way. That's go hilarious. On. <laughs> uh, Hayley, our producer, um, sent Brett and I a message. Um, would you yeah, would you like to do an interview on Andrew Graffis? And... Um, angiographis is a herb that uh, as natural medicine uh, practitioners we get access to and we use to help people stimulate the immune system by raising natural killer cells um, in particular macrophages and this is really good for mopping up debris um, so inflammation bits and pieces and viruses and bacteria and all that sort of stuff and and brett asked who is andrographis and i thought it was hilarious and i was in tears laughing and i thought i thought i'd just drop I it, it all over intro. social media you <laughs> know it's fine it's fine it uh, went viral that went viral that was uh, <laughs> that comment nearly broke the internet but uh hilarious brother. we're joined today by pam stone uh and she's from Blackmoors, and we've been doing some great work with Blackmoors. they've been able to provide some really good interviews for us and um, and I think it's really good for all of our listeners to to hear these interviews. But Pam talks today about angiographis. We dive into a bit about the history of herbal medicine, how things have changed a little bit, um, and where we're headed, I suppose, with it.
0: Yeah, I think it was a really good chat. It was good to chat about the evolution of herbal medicine and how they do use a combination of the latest research as well as practitioner experience and patient preference, which you all know is what's important in terms of evidence-based medicine when we talk about that. It's not just the research that's important. And, and this is probably a really good example, you know, talking about a herb that's been used for generations and generations. And, and, you know, we've, we've got some very known side effects that have been widely used in Eastern cultures that we tend to just kind of in Western medicine want to throw in the bin mm. but just recognizing the importance of this knowledge that's been around for such a long time. I just like people to think too, you know, at some point the medical profession said there's
1: no such thing as irritable bowel syndrome and now it's the one thing they want to jump on. They also said that there's no such thing as leaky gut um, and now they want to jump on it. Uh, They've also said there's no such thing as chronic fatigue syndrome but now they diagnose it. Um, And so when medicine finally catches up, with the fact that they're not the only ones in the healthcare game, then we'll actually start to see that much of what we've been talking about for hundreds of thousands of years is still true and correct and medicine will be able to still use it. We won't hold it back from them. But just because a doctor says there's no research doesn't mean it's true. There's probably heaps of research out there, like for andrographis, there's stacks of research out there. Just because they haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that the drug company that last visited them didn't give them research on andrographis. That's all it is. So little political statement there, but they can get stuffed, all those medics that don't listen to us (laughs) and don't like us. Uh, One more thing is just around andrographis use is it's important that with all herbs and vitamins you use the recommended dose. Um, I do make a little comment in there about the dose that I use for myself. I use that under my own guidance with my own education. But if you aren't educated in it, you should seek the guidance of your healthcare practitioner. And the other thing is around pregnancy, there's no research done to um, look at the safety of its use during pregnancy. Now, that's often the case with all drugs and all medications. There's generally assumptions done. But just make sure that if you are pregnant, um that you seek help and guidance from your healthcare practitioner. Don't just go out and do it by yourself.
0: Oh, sweet, i Let's get into it. Thanks, mate. Bredo, today
1: we're joined by the wonderful Pam Stone, and we're um we're blessed to be joined by Pam. She's a practitioner, a naturopath who works with Blackmoors up in Sydney. And um and she's, she's been in the industry for 30, 30 odd years. So I'm fascinated with chatting with her. And Pam, it is really great to have you join us on the Wellness Guy show today. Thank you for uh, dialing in to join us today.
2: Oh, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to a good chat.
1: Oh, we'll have a great chat, Pam. Hey, Pam, um, tell us a bit about you because obviously uh, being in our industry, there's been a lot of changes over the last few years um, in particular, but in 30 years, you would have seen a lot of changes. What have you been doing for 30 years in natural medicine?
2: Well, that's, that's certainly correct. And, yes, I qualified as a naturopath probably 35 years ago, I suppose, Back then, it was certainly not so well known and and well understood as it is now. So, yes, in that time, I have it's been so satisfying to see the degree of change and acceptance that has you know come our way in our industry. I, I probably would not have you know hoped for the degree of acceptance of complementary medicine. Not that there's a, not a lot more to go in terms of that, I must say. But in many ways, we've certainly come a long way, and it's been wonderful to be part of that.
0: Pam, let's go back, I mean, 35 years ago, what was it that made you decide you wanted to get into complementary medicine at a time when, as you said, it wasn't as well known and as well recognised as it is today?
2: That's right, it certainly wasn't. I've always had a great regard for natural health, for the philosophy of natural health. It's always made so much sense to me that, A, prevention is the best course of action of course, prevention is better than cure and a holistic approach to health has to be the most sensible and sustainable way of, of being healthy and promoting health and wellbeing. So I was very attracted to the philosophy and principles of naturopathy in Australia mm-hmm. and so sought, uh, cause I'm from Sydney as we said so I, I, I sought uh, a college that was teaching it and teaching it well at the time and so jumped in to become qualified. And then once qualified, I did practice for a few years to, to consolidate my, my training and my knowledge, of course. And then uh, because education was, was very important to me, I just saw that the, the great need for education as a means of empowering people, as we say. But it, it's so true that people need education mm-hmm. to be empowered to make choices that can benefit their health and well-being. And that's when I discovered Blackmores, actually, and so I have been with Blackmores for thirty years. Wow, far out! Uh, because even back, yeah, yeah, even back then, Blackmores was the leading manufacturer, um, and, and, and had the values that went right to the core of their of their being. I mean, it's all true what you what you hear about Blackmores that they have such core naturopathic values that motivate all decisions and all activity that the company you know, supports. So I very quickly found a home here at Blackmoors and a platform which I could use to to really be what I hoped would be a useful voice in terms of education. And, thought, and so my um, role has just developed as the company has developed. So it's been fantastic.
1: That's so good. I thought that Blackmoors actually started here in Melbourne, in Camberwell kind of area. But
2: Oh that's that's a, oh you're quite right it didn't start there so i won't completely refute that rumor <laughs> it actually started started in queensland right. but you're very right we we had a very important significant clinic the house of blackwoods yeah. which had a home at Kew for mm. many years and was was really um uh, qu- quite a, a good public a home for blackmores a well recognized home for Blackmores down in melbourne yeah. so that 's probably what what gave you that impression yes it w- was we, we loved that about uh, the House of Blackmores
1: in Melbourne. Yeah, I think it was because it was called the House of Blackmoors that I thought it was the uh, the head office. Yeah, but uh, oh, there you right. go, got that wrong. Happy to be proven <laughs> yeah. wrong. That's all good. <laughs> there you go. Hey Pam, I'm a naturopath. You know that, and uh, and all our listeners know that I'm a naturopath and Cairo. And I I use herbs a lot. I use herbs though in in the sense that I understand that the impact of a herb is similar to that of a drug. Now the reason why I say that mm. is because herbs, even though they're natural. Um, can be used inappropriately and, and it's also very important to understand that when you give a herb to somebody, you're not providing an ingredient that the body can build from, you're actually providing something that can instruct the body on how to behave. So um, much the same way as which a drug would, although a drug is much more powerful and comes with significant side effect um, and more risks. So um, can we just talk a little bit about herbal medicine in Australia, its safety um, and the reason why you know herbs are a, a better first place to go in many cases.
2: Mm, yeah, Damien, I, I like the way you say that. In the sense that, when we use herbs, we're we're helping to trigger the body's own self healing ability. You know, the body, as we know, our bodies are programmed, thankfully, to towards healing. If we provide the right building blocks, totally. the right triggers, and, and support system for that, and that is exactly where herbs come in because. They are complex uh, compounds and they do have active ingredients as you say that certainly means we need to treat them seriously as medicines Mm. with actual physiological effects in in the body Uh, but often that's where the difference lies between herbs and drugs in terms of the complex nature of the herb, it works holistically, it supports the body's innate healing ability.
1: Can we just hang on that word complex for a second? And then I'll let Brett talk because I've I've hogged it just for a second. But <laughs> I just want to uh, remind people that when you look at the action of a herb, there's multiple ingredients in a herb. So we're, t- we're not just talking about the active constituents. So we might actually have a standardized uh, extract of, say, st john's wort with a certain level of hypericin which is considered to be an active ingredient we might have yeah. a extract of turmeric with an active amount or a standardized amount of curcumin we might have um i don't know echinacea with a standardized amount of of, of the i can't remember the chemical is in echinacea but
2: yeah, or the, something like that
1: there yeah. we go so that can yeah. be standardized but it <laughs> still contains so much more it's not just say Aspirin, which is the extracted active component of white willow or willow mm. bark, we're actually yes. we're still using a full range of chemicals that existed in the herb, as well as the active constituent, as opposed to just a concentrated form of active constituent. And and that's a big yes. difference between drugs and herbs.
2: It, that's right. It, it's a big difference, and it really it really supports the the. I suppose the intelligence of herbs, if you like, in that when you look at a herb, it um, we do need to understand those key active ingredients that we believe are probably directing the action of the herb. But used in isolation, those actives could could also come with, even with unwanted side effects as they sometimes do in, in synthetic versions of drugs. But the herb has the intelligence to support those active ingredients with other cofactors but balance out the action of the herb so that it's positive rather than having an irritating or a a negative effect to the system. And that's very much why our preference is not to be tempted just to take that active ingredient and synthesize it or use it in isolation from the whole herb because there's a lot we don't know. We know that an active ingredient is a very useful marker which will tell us a lot about the quality of a herb and the potency but it's not going to tell us about the whole
0: action of the herb. Pam, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about the evolution of herbal medicine because obviously you've been in this space for 30, 35 years and we'll have seen a big change here. And I guess from the outside looking in, I would suggest that maybe 30, 35 years ago when we talked about herbs, we we were using a lot of, History and tradition and practitioner experience to guide us in terms of where to go with that, and and it's you know I'm sure as that has evolved, we're able to add to that with more research and you know the, the buzzword at the moment, the evidence-based medicine around that, and. So I'd love you to talk about the evolution of that and how important that research has become in the use of herbs. But also the flip side of that, which I think is equally important, is is how we still make sure we use that practitioner experience and history and tradition to inform and to work with our research in order to get the best outcomes for people.
2: Mm, yes, I'm I'm very pleased to hear you um, discuss it with that perspective because I completely agree. And, and yes, 30-odd years ago... There was very little strong good quality scientific evidence around to support a lot of the claims. There was some but you know, not, not, not very much to support the claims and so we did rely more on traditional use and as you say as well, traditional use is a, is a significant source of evidence and we still greatly respect that of course and are guided by that. Uh, but it's it's obviously so important that we can now look through the window of research and science to validate some of the uses and some of the claims that are drawn from traditional um, tr- traditional use. And so yeah, you know, we, we still say today that we need more and more research and there's not as much as we would like. Although having said that, over 30 years there has been so much research now applied to the use of herbs. Uh, and some very good standout bodies of evidence supporting herbs like, as you say, turmeric and St. John's wort and, and a whole host of other herbs as well, which 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 we do need. And we, we need that for a lot of reasons. We we need it in order to be used in primary health care. Practitioners need to know that they are dealing with, with safe levels and effective levels of herbs. They need to know about any complex interactions they might have with prescribed medications. So it's a whole different scenario now compared to how, generally how it was you know, 30 or so years ago. So it's been an exciting journey to get that the, the level of research that we have now and a really, really important journey and it's one that Blackmores is really committed to as well. We, we just see such a responsibility. In in supporting the research, you know, financially and in, in education, in every which way, because that still is really the platform from which our industry will continue to grow.
1: I agree with you there, Pam. I, I also find it fascinating when people say, "Oh, there's no evidence to prove that that works," but that's that's often a very narrow-minded and um, yeah. An ignorant thing to it's say
2: uninformed.
1: yeah, yeah it is uninformed informed. that's right yeah yes. and and i look at our audience is very informed which is great um and i think the other thing to keep in mind is that herbs don't continue to change so it's not like we need to continue to research them well obviously we're researching mm-hmm. and there's research taking place and there's more evidence mounting over time as we go but it's not like we're coming out with a new herb every 12 months or a new um version of andrographis for for example andrographis has been around for you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of years so we don't need to keep on Mm, having to reinvent mm. it we just go okay well this is what the herb does this is the research we've got Um, and we can continue to continue to build on that Um, there's not many drugs that have stood around uh, for that same length of time as a herb has Mm. and so they all need to be continually researched you know so um, that just yeah. that should be providing uh, more safety for people, you know, around what we're doing. Tell us about this herb, yeah. andrographis, Pam. I um I love andrographis. Um, some people call it the king of bitters. Um, yep. and I, I'd love to know um what what's got us so excited about andrographis at the moment. Obviously, um, we're coming out of winter, but um, there are places in the world that are going into winter that'll be listening to this podcast. And why would yeah. andrographis be important?
2: Yes, and look, I'm with you that I love andrographis as well. It, it is one of my favorite herbs. Uh, King of Bitters does help to sum it up. And, the, and and andrographis is one of those herbs that has, as you say, has been around for a very long time and one of those herbs that we are more recently appreciating as we delve more into systems of medicine like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine and discovering herbs that have been, key to their systems of medicine for thousands of years and that we are now understanding more, understanding its application, appreciating its use and subjecting it to to scientific research that is confirming what traditional use has known for a long time I guess. So with Andrographis, it does have this very long history of use across India, China, throughout Southeast Asia and it's still used in primary healthcare in, in these health systems. So that alone gives us a lot of respect for the herb and it has been now supported by a strong body of scientific evidence. So it really gives us a strong platform for recommending this herb and manufacturing this herb for use in in, in our sort of health systems today. So look, it's a very interesting herb. It's talking about its mode of action as well and that's another area where science has been able to be very useful in in breaking the herbs down and giving us some insight at least into why why they work how they work the way they do, and this the main compounds active compounds in andrographis is a group called the andrographolides, and they are very bitter constituents, and we we think of andrographis as having three main targeted effects in the body, if you like. And that would be its immune support. So it's an immunostimulant, an immune support. It's anti-inflammatory across the body and it's, a, it's good for digestion. It also targets its, its effect in the digestive tract. So you're covering quite a few bases there, which helps to explain why it is such a significant herb and such an esteemed and highly regarded herb, both in traditional use and also increasingly in Western herbal
0: medicine as well. So it's interesting you mentioned, Pam, that, you know, in the Eastern cultures that this gets used, I guess, more as a primary medical approach where, you know, if you do go to your doctor, they'll integrate uh, these sort of herbal approaches with their, I guess, more Western medical approaches as well. Uh, Are we seeing that happen now in Australia? Like are doctors getting on board with Andrographis and and prescribing it and using it as well, or is it still really in the realm of the naturopaths and and the alternative medical practitioners as well? Oh,
2: yes, I... I, I think at this point in time, it, it hasn't been fully embraced to the extent it could be in mainstream primary health care, again, due to lack of just education and appreciation of how it can be used. It's, it's part, like we talk about integrative medicine where you use the best of every system of medicine and of course, there are some times where you need that antibiotic or you need that prescribed other medication. Uh, but perhaps you also need something to boost the immune system so that you don't have to continually fall back onto antibiotics or whatever. And so this is where we're really tr- are trying to build the education base to doctors and pharmacists, other other healthcare providers, to understand the role that andrographis and herbs like that can really play in primary healthcare. So it needs further awareness to support that.
1: I like that. There's a little term you used in there, Pam, um... Uh, boosts the immune system and it's something that we used you know from the perspective in natural medicine studying you know 30 and 20 years ago or 35 and 20 odd years ago actually it's probably 25 years ago now oops Um, so I and and we used um, boost the immune system or tonic um, as in it tones a system Um, or it responds Mm -hmm. you know so you'd use a herb like siberian ginseng for example uh if you needed to both you know boost the adrenal glands and calm the adrenal glands so as opposed to say panax ginseng so these are terms that um, are a little bit ambiguous i suppose when we're talking in an age where people um, demand um, evidence-based and all that sort more of stuff. Precise. Yeah, yeah, more precise, yeah. you know, language. What do we mean though when we say that we're boosting the immune system? Is that a good thing yeah, for exactly. say someone with autoimmune disease, or is it a good thing with someone with low immunity? And what is low immunity? Yes, yeah, that's
2: all very, all very true and important that there is evidence-based education to support that. So what we mean with andrographis when we say say it stimulates the immune system or we say it modulates the immune system, which is kind of equally vague in some respects. What we now know what we now know through the window of science, if you like, what what is happening is that it stimulates immune cells. So the immune system is is served with this army, of course, of, of different types of cells. And andrographis stimulates antibodies and it stimulates macrophages specifically. So these are different parts of the immune system which which rally to our defense when we need an anti-inflammatory action particularly, which explains why andrographis is so highly regarded as a treatment and also prevention for the for upper respiratory tract infections for, for colds and flu and so on. So that's where we need to often wake our immune system up a little bit, give it a bit of a boost, get those macrophages mobilized so that they can actually do their job. So it's helping our immune system, I guess, in that to do its job better when there is a a threat such as a virus um, that that the immune system is very well primed to respond to. So it's helping in that general priming. Uh, I mean, as an aside, if someone had an autoimmune illness, perhaps andrographis is not contraindicated in that in that regard there 's no specific sort of interactions or or cautions along those lines, although in in, in any sort of um, serious illness it 's always worth getting at the, the advice of a health professional before coming in with anything that 's affecting the immune system in any way but but it 's not regarded
0: as being an issue in that regard. Mm-hmm. and th- that kind of leads into my next question Pam which is if you know if people are listening to this interview thinking hey this this sounds great this sounds like something that might be useful to me or beneficial to me I mean is andrographis something they can go and pick up off the shelves at the local chemist you know or is this something they need to go and see a practitioner for to to find out whether it's the right thing for them and what dose to take and all those sort of things yeah how, how readily available is it
2: yeah a- andrographis is very readily available and and that does also speak to the sort of role it has in the body, I think, in the sense that this is good, Um, it it, it enhances our resistance, so it's very good to support the the action of the immune system in that regard. So it's enhancing resistance to the common cold and these sort of short-acting, if you like, types of viral infections, Uh, although any viral infection, I would recommend andrographis because there's really no downside to that. And it's supported by so many good human studies. So, as an immune support, as an anti-inflammatory, as a digestive tonic, it can certainly be quite quite appropriately select, you know, self-selected off the shelf in a pharmacy or from a pharmacy or a health food store. There are certain doses which have been shown to be more effective in in, in the scientific research, and. It is always better to look for good quality products that are likely to replicate the effective doses. I mean, generally, generally we the doses used in research have been 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams of the dried leaf taken twice a day. Uh, so those sort of specific amounts are worth noting, I suppose, somewhere within that ballpark. But the main thing is to 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 look for a standardised extract. Because these extracts are standardised to that andrographolide compound, and and round about 30 milligrams of the of the standardised ingredients, if if that you know if anyone can sort of remember that, that will direct you to a good quality product that is going to have a therapeutic effect. And they do range. That's that's the tricky part of self selection that any herb, across different brands, will vary in concentrations. So I always say look, look for a good quality product. Obviously, Blackmores has a very good quality product and you, you're going to get the right product.
0: And so I guess with any of these sort of products, I mean, even water, you know, has a bell curve in terms of safety. You know, mm. you can have too little, you yeah. can have too much. And so I guess if you are doing this yourself, then you need to be mindful that obviously at some level we need to be conscious of you know how much that dose is. I mean, how much are we talking with andrographis that we can safely take um, and is there a dose that you wouldn't recommend? That you know, What stage is, is too much of a good thing too much?
2: Yes, well, good question. Uh, firstly, if you adhere to the dosage recommendations on the label, that's always the best thing to do. And if you feel that your symptoms are quite acute, like you're, you've got the first sun, you've got a terrible flu or something like that, quite acute, and you think, oh, maybe I need to increase the dose. With andrographis, you you probably can increase the dose quite safely but if you're not really sure how to navigate that, it's good to get health professional advice just so you know you're getting the most effective benefit from the supplement. I mean we have, Blackwell's has an advisory service that I usually put people to which has pharmacists and naturopaths online to hear what your particular symptoms are, any other medications you're taking and give you the most appropriate dose. So that's always the way to to actually refine the dosage so that it's most effective. But with andrographis, again, it's it's not noted through all the research that's been done and the traditional use, it's not noted to have any particular cautions or contraindications, Uh, and, and it hasn't probably been researched at real you know sort of four or five times the daily dose to see what the upper limit might be, but. There, again, nothing's come up in any of the research showing that it's likely to be one of those herbs which you should use with caution. But, I mean, as you say, you need to use common sense with anything and generally go along the lines of the, the labelled doses.
1: That's a great answer. That's, uh, Brett likes to throw those little curly ones in there. I just want to remind Brett that when we were, you know, first looking at doing this interview... Um, the <laughs> comment that came through is, would you like to do an interview on Andrew Graffis? And Brett said, who is Andrew Graffis? I don't know who he is. <laughs> so it's uh, he's asked <laughs> some very intelligent <laughs> questions today and he's done very, very well, Brett. Thank you, mate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, um, there is a lot of research and uh, just you can quickly scan the internet for scholarly articles uh, on Andrew Graffis and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them and, and it has been systematic Uh, reviews um, where they've found large numbers of high-quality evidence to uh, determine Mm. the effectiveness of the herb as well as the safety of the herb. And there are some side effects reported like constipation or a headache. Um, And so we're not talking like death or trips to the emergency Mm. department. We're not talking about dangerous stuff. And, you know, I'm going to just lay it out here. When I use angiographis myself, I take a multiple of the upper limit of, um, mm. of the dose recommendation um, and, I, and I'm and i aware of how it makes me feel if I have too much of it and it's important that people would recognize that um, I'm a practitioner and so I go hard on it. And so I, I'm mm. also very aware that um, you know, what can heal can harm. So um, don't go health or leather yourself. Use it under the guidance of your healthcare practitioner if you're going to go beyond the uh, the label claim. Um, But, of course, um, there's plenty of support for you if you're going to use that to help manage infection, viruses. And we're still getting lots of viruses at springtime, um, change of season, um, or even if, you know, you're looking to improve your digestion slightly, you could use it too. But, Pam, there's so much about angiographis that we've covered today, and I appreciate your knowledge, your wisdom, um, and the time that you've taken to share with us on The Wellness Guys today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.